chapter 11. And this is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. How long has it been since you said it together? Let's stand. If you know it by heart, otherwise you can read it out of Luke 11, although the Luke edition of the Lord's Prayer does not have, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So let's say it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So Luke 11 doesn't have the last verse, but that's okay. There are times in the Gospels, dear Christian friend, that you pick up something in one that may not be in another, and this is God God just uh, working it all, uh, all these witnesses, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic Gospels. And, and John's different. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. John is a different gospel. Um, it's many people's favorites, including your pastors. But anyway, this is an interesting prayer. We'll look at Luke 11, verse 1. It says, uh, <clears throat> And it came to pass, as, uh, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So <clears throat> he said to them, when you pray, say. Now, this is not meant to be the only kind of prayer that we pray. It is not meant to be so repetitious that it gets old. And I'm afraid some have, in some circles, done it that way. But uh, uh, that's not what it was meant to do. So, there are seven things about all of us that face in life that this, this prayer actually, uh, actually uh, addresses. And uh, so we'll go from there. Everybody hot enough? I got to read this to you before we begin. The front door of Todd's home warped, causing the door to jam on occasion. To pry it open, the family kept a hatchet handy. One day, the doorbell rang, and Tom, Todd peeked out through the curtains and then shouted in a voice that could be heard through the door, Quick, Karen, it's the pastor. Get the hatchet. Better than some doors I've uh, I've gone to. I did uh, for three years for a company. Uh, I organized brand new routes for them. I did that part time, but during that time, I knocked on thirty three thousand doors in Southwest Michigan. So I know all about surprises on the other end of the of of the door. So. God has answers here in what's called the Lord's Prayer. Let's look at again 
uh, <clears throat> verse 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's an honorable prayer. It's an honorable thing uh, to uh, uh, worship the Lord with, actually. But this is God's answer, if you have your notes, to my insignificance. God's answer to my insignificance is his person. He is my father. John 1.12, but as many as received Christ, to them gave he the authority to become the children of God. But something even, you know, something a little bit more uh, clear and kind of precise is 1 John chapter 3, verses you all know. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And it goes on to say, Beloved, now are we the children of God. Right now, not just when we get to heaven. I reject the world's phrase, we're all children of God. That is not true. As far as uh, God's creation and, you know, we're created in the image and likeness of God, you want to go that far, I'll go along with that. But we are not all God's children. In fact, Jesus pointed to the Pharisees, you are not of the Father. Your Father is who? Yeah, the devil himself. And uh, so you become, you become God's children when you come to know Christ as your personal Savior. So with that in mind, Let's finish that thought. When God becomes your father and you become his child, that settles it. You matter. You do matter. You are his by redemptive purchase. And I don't know how many times I have met believers in 48 years of ministry from, well, from time to time, where they just didn't think God paid attention to them or uh, that they didn't matter to the Lord. And that's not true. You do matter. You are his child. And uh, that last phrase, your significance comes from your relationship to Christ. You belong to him. Aren't you glad? You matter. When you hurt, it matters. When you're happy, it matters. When you're sick, it matters. When you're old, when you're young, it matters to your Father in heaven. And I'm so thankful for that. Number two, God's answer to my confusion is his plan. You look at that again, it says, Thy kingdom come means God has a master plan. Now, don't lose sight of it in this secular godless society that is overcoming our once Christian Judeo heritage that we all knew and cherished. America, as we see it today, would not be recognizable to many who've lived years ago. It's a sad commentary. I'm not trying to be a downer, but you and I both know that God may have to apologize. I say this in a in a facetious way, to Sodom and Gomorrah if he doesn't judge us. And all those people who in the Old Testament 
offered their sons and daughters in a sacrifice to pagan God, which just absolutely made God discipline Israel and drive them out of the land and into captivity. It was terrible, terrible. You read about it in Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the Old Testament prophets. He's a holy God. He's a holy God. Don't be confused. God has a plan. Plan. God has a master plan for the world. You know John 3.16. Let's say it out loud together. You're doing well today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thy will be done means he has one for you too. Now we're going to go to Romans 8 three or four different times. And it may not be new to you, but a reminder is in order. Romans 8, verse 28. This is actually verse 30. This is God's master plan for you. And it says this, you know it well, and we know that all things work together for those who love God. If you love God, God has a master plan for you. To those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he knew you, he knew you were going to be saved before you were saved. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's where God predestines. He predestines the believer the one who has received Christ as Savior, to become exactly like the Lord Jesus someday, as we see him as he is, into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, whom he also called, whom he called, them he justified or declared righteous, whom he justified, gets this now, these he also glorified, past tense, God looks at you as you're glorified already. And now you and I all know that our bodies aren't there yet. Or haven't you discovered that yet? But God looks at it as past tense. That's his master plan. Now you keep Romans 8, your finger in there, because we'll come back to it. Number three, God's answer to my worry is his provision in this wonderful prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. For 48 years of ministry, our heart has been with smaller churches of 100 or less. Rural, small town, churches in the sticks. <laughs> and that's been our passion. And uh, it has been neat to see how God has provided. I had We had one opportunity, and I, I knew when I was there, it was a large church in Michigan with a salary we could only dream about and a Christian school and uh, just all kinds of things. And we said no because we didn't have peace about it. That's not where God, God's heart for us has been in smaller rural places. But we have seen God provide, haven't we, hon? And Romans 8 tells us again, you still left your finger there, didn't you? Or did you mess up and forget? Romans 8, 32. Don't ever forget it. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Here's the question. 
how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And he will. He'll never forsake you. And I stand here to tell you that in my almost just a few weeks away, 73rd year, that God has been faithful in providing you can say the same thing. Sometimes it was through labor, which was the normal way, but many times through just wonderful surprises of God provided every need, and he will do that. See, God's answer to any kind of worry that I might have about that is his provision that with Christ, he will take care of all the things that are necessary in this life. Any amen to that? Number four, God's answer to my guilt is his pardon. Look at verse four. And forgive us our sins. I like the way this is put, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, I like that. I'm not sure I like the forgive us our sins as we forgive others. <laughs> uh, have you always been quick to forgive? If we're going to be forgiven based on the if we forgive others, some of us might be in trouble at times. And I think, I think this is the accurate way to pray for forgiveness of sins. Our responsibility is to forgive anybody who has trespassed against us. So let's, let's uh, talk about this. God's answer to my guilt is his pardon. We have all sinned and have regrets, don't we? <clears throat> I met a fellow one time, told me he hadn't sinned for 30 days. And I wondered why he told me that. I mean, he just sinned, telling me that. I mean, that's pride. I mean, not that we have to sin, but does he know what sin really is? And that's why believers are told in 1 John 1, 9, believers, not the world. Believers are said if we confess our sins, in other words, deal with that. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, we do have regrets, but God says there's only one antidote for guilt. And what is that? Forgiveness. I've met Christians that drag around all this baggage needlessly. Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together. Sayeth the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Ephesians 1, 7. What does that say? It says, in whom, in Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins. Number five, God's answer to my strained relationships is his peace. He gives peace, you know, when, when we do what's right. So we're going to talk about twins of misery. You know who they are? The first one is guilt for what I have done to others. The second one is resentment for what others have done to me. If you think you're above that, I got news for you. 
And even when we've dealt with it, even when we've forgiven, Satan loves to drag up some old tapes and play them on your memory bank and get you all upset again and don't let him do it. Because God's answer is peace that he gives to me. The Bible says there's only one answer for these two, and that is forgiveness. So if you're still taking notes, we can let go of the past instead of hanging on to guilt and grudges. The sad thing about it is believers should know better. If you read, if you, you know, that says Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's true. What that, should, what that should have read is Ephesians 4.31. I got dyslexic. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and then, and clamor, and then this word, and malice be put away from you. What is malice? Malice is an unwillingness to forgive. The bottom line, that's what it is. And some believers would rather drag up bitterness and just be bitter against somebody than actually deal with it under the blood of Christ. Let me tell you. Guilt and uh, over what I've done to others or what resentment, what they've done to me, will kill the joy in your life, I guarantee it. So, that's God's answer. Look what it says in verse 4. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us or trespasses against us. And so if we're not willing to forgive, guess where how far our prayers go? By the way, where's the card? Birthday card. Ah, Jerry has it. And if you guys don't get it in the front row, you can mob him after the service. Number six, God's answer to my temptations is his protection, verse four. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. God does not tempt any man. He tests, but he doesn't tempt. Now, I have a couple things to say about that. Oh, by the way, have you ever read Frank and Ernest, the little cartoon in the... <laughs> so, I remember one in particular where, you know, these two characters are, are standing before a priest. And uh, Frank says, how come opportunity knocks only once, but temptation beats at my door <laughs> every day? Temptations. Let's finish this. We don't have to give in. Jesus can help you break free. Let's look at that special promise. Okay? Special promise. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Verse 12, it says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We don't have super believers. We have believers who have been saved, 
and who avail themselves of the power of God and have victory in their lives. Absolutely. But lest that go to our head, let's just remember verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except as such as is common to man. You are not unique. You cannot stand before God and say, nobody's going through what I'm going through. Nobody was tempted like me. Look at the next phrase. But God is what? Faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear. You either believe that or not. That's where walking with the Lord is so important. So important. And by the way, God knows your weakness. He knows Noah's weakness. It was booze. He knows David's weakness. It was sex. He knows Peter's weakness. It was fear. He knows, and he knows, and he loves, and he cares. And so God's answer to any of these temptations in my life is his protection. I don't have to give in. Jesus can help you break free. That is a special promise. And Galatians 2.20, you know what it says. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So God's answer then, number seven, and finally to my fears is his power. His power. Look at verse four. But deliver us. Deliver us. So one more time in Romans 8, and that is this. Verse 31, it says, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Huh? Is that true? So let's jump down to verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Is It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for me. If God is for us, who can be against us? I learned that early on when my personal evangelism class had a project where we were going to go door to door in a town on an Indian reservation in northern Minnesota. Not alone, but with someone else. And I didn't want to do that. But that verse spoke to my heart. I did it. God watched over us, and he used that. Okay, what are we saying here? Okay, solving life's problems. He's answered to my insignificance because I matter to him. He's my father. He has a master plan for me. He provides for me. This prayer says all of that. He's, he, he's the answer to my guilt. And he's also <clears throat> answer to my strained relationships the twins of misery, whatever I've done to others or whatever people have done to me. He can help me leave and let go of any malice 
And God's answer to my temptations is his protection. And my fears is his power. I used to not like to go into a cemetery at night or even walk by one. To be honest, it doesn't bother me now. I could pitch a tent there and it wouldn't bother me now. Because I know greater is he that is in me than what? He that is. Do you know that? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Don't ever forget that. So all of these are met in the person and work of Jesus Christ our Lord. He is your Father. You matter to him. I love this song. It's called, I'm a Child of the King. I hope you know it. It's an old hymn. Let's stand and sing.